0: Thank you. Welcome to another podcast of Indigenous Roots and Hoots, brought to you by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. I'm your host, Gordon Spence, and today my guest is Errol Kinestino. A uh, little background on Errol. Uh, Errol Kinistido is a solo treaty First Nation member from the Chappawais First Nation in Saskatchewan. Uh, he was born in Whitewood, Saskatchewan and graduated from Grenville Consolidated High School. In 1989, Earl was was in the original production of Thompson Highway's award-winning play, Dry Lips, Auto Move to casing, As the character, Creature Nataways, his other theater acting credits include Red Sky's performance play, Ravens Stole the Sun, Dancing Sky's Centennial Tour in Saskatchewan, all My Relations, Twin, uh, in 2000, 20, 2005, and Cedar Saskatchewan tour of Far From the Heart in 2012. Film wise, he's well known for his role as Leon Dila on North of 60, which ran from 1992 to 2002. Other screen credits include Phil the Bartender on Corner Gas, two year stint there from 2006 to 2008. And also uh, Cold as Ice in Out in the Cold, 2005. And he also played Kenny Bearclaw in Magazine Flats in 20- 2003. And Saul in This Time Last Winter in 2009. He has been an active in Saskatchewan's theater music scene for many years as an actor, director, singer, and an acoustic guitarist. He has since become a performing artist on stage, screen, and radio. He's also a videographer and created a short film with the touchwood agency Youth called Stop the Cycle with his partner, editor Josie Linka. It was a big hit and received coverage by Christian H. Kutte of Nelson Byrd's CTV show Indigenous Circle, is working on and chap First Nations developing a drama club. As a musician, Errol Conditional plays a variety of instruments, acoustic and electric guitar, drums, and harmonica. And he also sings traditional songs with a hand drum. He sings and plays his own songs, such as Kokum's Cadillac, Shug Shag, I Look, and Twenty Four Hours. Recently, Errol's appeared on GX ninety four Star Search in twenty thirteen. And the Golden Eagles Casino was pride of the Northwest Talent Competition, and was chosen as performer in Voices of the North in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Well, Errol, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, welcome. That's quite an accomplishment. You know what you've done over the years uh, as a performer, singer, actor, uh, songwriter, and director, and, and all the all the interesting fascinating stuff of your life and um, i met you years ago when we when you first came to uh, split lake in northern manitoba as a uh, working on a summer project with us uh, brought along our mutual friend hank fiddler at the time tell us a little bit about what you're doing you know and uh yourself where you grew up and you maybe a little talk a little bit about your family and where you are right now
1: yeah thank you gorg uh- yeah, I was just uh, listening to your uh, your introduction there and uh that was kind of an old uh older uh, bio that was sent to somebody. And uh I remember uh like going back on the uh listening to I wish I had, had kept on staying on the reserve for a little bit to develop a theater project there. Uh but uh my partner in theater, Michelle Sarreda. Uh, along with five other, well, four other people passed on, and uh, five years ago now, and she came out there to help me, help me out in a project with uh, one of the groups out there, and we did the legend of the Capel, the, the legend of the Capel, which was uh, was actually uh, Pauline Johnson's uh, poem about the legend, uh, about a, a person that was you know waiting to get married, and then the person didn't come back, but they heard the echo in the valley. As a result, they used to say katepwe. pue" means, like, uh, in our language, Soto Anishinaabe is who is calling. And then the French people later on, they ended up calling it the Kipel Valley. So that was with a project that I I worked on with with Michelle there. But I'm living in Regina now, Mm -hmm. and uh, Treaty 4 territory. it's uh, about a year and a half or so, a couple of years. But uh, I gravitate to Regina a lot, come here. And uh, uh, my, my ancestors have been coming here for since uh, probably time immemorial, like 1874, <coughs> around there. To to they uh, used to come to the Regina Exhibition and have, have uh, set up an Indian village there and powwows over the years. One of my grandmothers had actually had a. She had a few homes here in the city, where she would rent her rooms out to boarders that were working in the city in the, probably in the nineteen thirties and you know nineteen forties, and as a result, my uncle uh, Simeon Balanji inherited some of the homes and turned them into a business. He he did an auto body business and and bought a auto body down in uh, Wayburn and then. Moved to Minneapolis, and mm-hmm. he he would come back to the mm-hmm. Palo every year on Ochapoise, And uh, but uh, I come from a a, a reserve that's uh, called Ochapoise, But initially, it was named after his father or his great grandfather named Kaggisueil. Yes. and Kaggisueil is is a Cree word that means loud voice. Right, yes. And uh, indirectly, maybe, maybe it came from uh, his being able to shout across the valley, Hello! And all you hear echo, Hello! And he'd yeah. say louder, Hello! And he would answer back, Hello! <laughs> Who calls? What your name? Ketepe! Ketepe! would echo back and that's uh, in, yeah. indir- indirectly how the uh, the the valley got its name as uh, you know like Kipel, the french people changed it to who's calling oh, but, yeah. but it came from that legend that uh, that uh, pauline johnson wrote about way back in the 1800s
0: was that uh, was it common back then to uh, to communicate that way in the in the valley like uh, sending messages
1: uh, uh i don't really know because uh, you know I haven't really listened to a lot of stories, but if you're in the valley, uh, you can actually shout, and if you shout loud enough, you'll eventually hear your echo. Yeah, and that's that's why uh, the valley got it. Got a there's four four uh, lakes. Uh, one's called Echo Lake, Pasqua Lake, Kata, Katap which means Katapui means who's calling? Katapui they call it now. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, another, another lake down there, there four lakes down that way in the Valley near Fort Caval area. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I actually came from, uh, a, a group of people that were, uh, set, settled in the Valley, uh, in the 1800s, 1700s. Uh, it wasn't a place that our people really wanted to live because as you know, our people on the prairies were, uh, very quite nomadic, and and our homeland existed. Of uh, we would travel all the way down to near Medicine Hat, mm-hmm. uh, Calgary area, like the Bow River, where yeah. it meets the Saskatchewan, and would winter there for the for the winter, because that's mm-hmm. where the buffalo were. And then the buffalo would move a little bit this way in the in the as it warmed up, because the buffalo would move this way. So we followed the buffalo. We weren't really stagnant people that lived on the reserves. Yeah. And uh, What did like, you travel with?
0: Like, uh, what was your mode of transportation?
1: Uh, a lot of the people would walk, and a lot of people would uh, travel in horses, because right. it's about maybe two, three hundred miles from, from here to Medicine Hat. Yeah, so it, that's took you, it took you a bit of time to get down that way, and it, you'd travel, you'd hunt the uh, buffalo, and and then you'd settle in for the winter. Around maybe Nikonid area, where there's First Nations that are out that way,
0: yeah. and
1: then and, and just south of there, there's Wood Mountain. Mm-hmm. Out in the, out in the prairies after after the Battle of Little Bighorn, the Sioux yeah. people, the Sioux people came across here, and about five thousand natives settled in as refugees, kind of indirectly, but they moved into the Cinnaboy territory and Moose Jaw, and yeah. uh, and. Uh, the hist- There's a lot of history in that area, like, Saskatch- like southern
0: Saskatchewan. You're talking about, or yeah, that's treaty four yeah. territory. Treaty four right. territory.
1: So there are. Uh, so there's uh, Sioux that live in that area. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. They they settled into the Wood Mountain area. There's yeah. the L- Lacaine family, and there's a few other names that are that are quite you know, uh, uh, are renowned today. That are they intermarried. Uh, a lot of the ranchers that were there, but the grandmothers, quite a few of them stayed, because when the Sitting Bull actually went back to the states, a lot of his people went back with him, right. and uh, you know, a few, a lot of them decided they were going to stay in yeah. Canada. So indirectly, the uh, the government uh, set up a, a or a reserve where they negotiated a homeland, a home. It was called Wood Mountain, and that's the, the only Lakota reserve in Saskatchewan. There's there's five tribal people that live in Saskatchewan. There's Crees, so there's the, the Lakotas, the Dakotas. There's Soto, like I am, Anishinaabe, or Ojibwe. They're Prairie Indians. And uh, there's Northern Cree, there's Bush Cree, Swampy Cree. And then way in the north, there's the Dene, so yes. within, the, within the province. but And there's yeah. three territories here that are... Uh, Actually four, there's a Treaty 2 territory, that's the White White Bear area where my partner Josie's actually from, registered there, and then you move north, there's Treaty 4 where, where I live in, and it's 175 square miles. It goes from Dauphin, Manitoba, Boy, all, the, all the way down to Medicine Hat, yeah. and all along the border, the 49th parallel, so there's quite a bit of land in that territory. When I say I'm from the Treaty Four territory, it means I'm a um, I'm from a very vast territory because just north of there is also Treaty Six, yeah, and then Treaty Eight in the north. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I always yeah. thought you were Cree. Yeah, a lot of people think I'm Cree because I live in Cree country.
0: Yeah. Are there a lot of uh, very many? Are there very many uh, uh, Sotos that uh, live in Saskatchewan? Or?
1: Yes, there is quite a few. Uh, there's a Cody, First Nation, where my grandfather grandmother's from. And uh, her name was uh, Charlotte Fable. And uh, the next reserve over is Keys, where my great-grandmother was from. And uh, and then uh, there's Little Bone, which is Sacame, which is another soda reserve. Pasqua, Muscopedin, they're they're kind of all First Nations there. Wow. And Kisikoos in there. There's quite a few.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's very really interesting. I always thought Saskatchewan mostly uh, mostly Cree. Cree. Uh, yeah, there's
1: Cree. a there is a lot of Cree people. We become cousins with the Cree. Yeah. Our, la- yeah. our language language is quite similar, and uh, right. the way when we have our powwows and uh, and there's there's a mixture of marriages between uh, between uh, the the people. Like for example, all my sisters. Uh, uh, took up and married a lot of the Cree people that live on Ochapois, like the George family, well, who descended yeah. descendants of the uh of yeah. the K'akishwe people, loud, loud voices people, yeah. Yeah. And la- Loud Voice, he's original signer on Treaty Four. And uh yeah. but uh, later on uh, his his uh, his son Ochapois took over the reserve and then later on he said well Why don't you just call the reserve with Chapoys after me? And so the government liked that idea, but then they amalgamated two reserves there. They put Chekachas and Kahishayo together. So we've been living uh, uh, as two two members of bands in there. So recently, there's a court case where uh, we possibly might split into two bands or even three. Oh, yeah. and Cheikachas. So we have an interesting history, and yeah, absolutely, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm right, snab dab in the middle of all that stuff now. So we have to make yeah. make some decisions, and uh, yeah, it, it causes a bit of chaos, but yet it's very interesting, and uh, yeah. Finally, finally, it's getting it's getting uh, to be brought out into the open and recognized. The government did admit, okay, we did we did uh, reluctantly amalgamate you guys together, put you guys together. Now you have a bigger land space to consider, and and now you have to make up your idea. Which band do you want to live on? Take a chance, Takashi or Chapo. You see. So,
0: so they're gonna kind of. Uh, how do the people feel about this? Like being uh, being separated into three three separate bands now.
1: There's you know the older people that that they initiated this and actually put their name on the lawsuits at plaintiffs. They're yeah. kind of in the in the know. They kind of know. What's been going on, and even uh, they're 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 aware of this for the last fifty years, you know, whatever. Yeah. But there's a ne- next generation of people that don't know. So, mm-hmm. our job, in a sense, as communicators, storytellers, as artists, is to create venues where they can understand and go, "Oh, really? I didn't know that." Yeah. You know, yeah. for example, when my family came to Ojai. My father was from Littlebone, which is Yorkton mm-hmm. and he he married my mom so she could transfer to Littlebone or Ocha- Osaka up near Yorkton but she didn't like that reserve too much because it was so small and they were trying to get do away with it and make the people go live down in Sakame. Oh. so so it was very poor so my my grandfather Alex Belangi who was a headman back then said, why don't you transfer to boys, And that's yeah. what my father did. He, he, he transferred to Ochap, but one of the elders spoke up for him. His name was, uh, uh, George, but he was related to the descendants of the, of the, uh, Kakishweo people. Yeah. But, and because my, my dad was married, uh, to his sister, I asked his first cousin, her name was Eleanor, Eleanor Punicapo, who was from Sacomé. Yeah. That he said, this this man Lawrence Keniston was already indirectly a dis uh, a family member because I married his sister, his cousin. So mm-hmm. I'm speaking up for him, and and then the elders and the other people that had a say, yeah, they just agreed. They they put their check mark, and my dad transferred onto the Chapoist reserve. So yeah. our our descendancy came from, from that, that, uh, in 1949 or 50, when my dad signed, signed on to Chapoist. Now all my sisters, there's nine of us, seven sisters and two brothers, all were, uh, our Chapoist band members, but we know our little history from there. And then we can choose to either be Kakeshweo people, or we could go with my, my mother's, uh, my mother's, uh, descendancy, who's was the Balanje family. Yeah. She was a descendant of of uh, the Chekachas and Oro-Chapwais or- 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 people, so nowadays it's up to, us, uh, to to educate our people to say, okay, you have a choice. You can either go to, if they're going to rename Ochapois or- and Kakishwe or, or- chapwais and, and Chekachas there is a way that you can, you have a right to descendancy by our oral history. And then they can take that to the government and the government can say, oh, yeah, you were you were a Chachas member way back in the, you know, 1860s or whatever. And then uh, 1874, rather, after a treaty. And then you became a Kakishu member or a Chappos member and whatever, you know, they'll sort all that stuff out. Wow, that's so it's, incredible. It's a, it causes a lot, a lot of, uh, really makes us look at our ourselves as people under a microscope. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know it belong here or here.
0: Yeah. So would that mean uh would that mean that you'd have to move
1: uh, if you, uh, you, you may, uh, indirectly, switch? I think a lot of our family are gonna to live on live on the Ochapoist reserve.
0: Just stay where they, you are.
1: Yeah. They, yeah, they have descendancy there. Yeah. There's, a, there's a few of few of our family members that say, Hey, I might consider moving to the new reserve, uh o- Yeah. And through our TLE and our Treaty of Land Entitlement, we already bought land as a okay. Chippewa First Nation. Yeah, uh, that's included, uh, inclusive to the Chakachas' descendancy or their population. So where would this I mean,
0: be like uh, in relation to like Regina? Was because of Regina or uh, Yorkton or?
1: It's near I White Whitewood, Saskatchewan. Really, the is, Yeah, yeah. Chakachas is just south north of. Uh, North of Whitewood, and it could have bordered the the Capel Valley, and yeah. then the you know, Chippeways Reserve did border uh, the the Round Lake area, and then uh, and then there's about four or five other reserves there too, like Kausis and Kak- yeah. Kausis and Kaguistau and Sacame and. So it's new Chathaway. lands. You're talking about new lands and new reserve altogether. Not really, no. No. We've had we've had this land since 1874, when uh, the government kind of uh, put a, a map out that this is, this is this land's going to be for you. Now come back out of Niakanite where you're hunting buffalo and live on this reserve. And that's slowly that's how the people came back this way. But uh, that was interesting when you mentioned that. That was indirectly why I wanted to uh, create a theater group on on a reserve. So we could put some of this history together and uh and put it on in a play format using actors like bring kagishio together bring uh a alive bring the treaty commissioner morris and all these people alive the interpreter charles pratt and uh bring these characters alive and yeah. put them up on stage and then you see them go oh what's yeah. is that, is that what, you know and indirectly i've in the back of my mind, I have uh, I still want to do that play because I've done I've done outlines of it at treaty four, yeah. And then and then when my my friend Michelle Serreda was alive, we did uh, the beginning of the legend of, uh, legend of the Capel, which it was around just before treaty time. That's how that valley got its name. So indirectly, the I've been doing a, a research and sitting on a lot of little knowledge about how to. Uh, I haven't written any grants up available. I should write a grant, and uh, so it would give me free time to just concentrate on on writing and developing a script. Uh, Because I I sat in on the court hearings here in the city of Regina and also on the reserve, and uh, there were big big court hearings that when when some of our people from uh, Chekajas actually took uh, the government to task you guys did wrong. You put us together and we lived reluctantly together for over 150 years. Yeah. Now now we want you to acknowledge that you did wrong. Yeah. And that's our first step and they did. Now our decision is do we break into two or three names? a Chekacass, or Chappos or how are we going to do this? So now the people are thinking and our elections are coming up uh, pretty soon this year. So the next generation of Headmen and and chiefs that are going to uh, consider all this information are going to have to uh, help the people, you know, yeah. inform them. And they have they got a big court document about five hundred pages long. If you want to read this? You can read it, but it some of this stuff is interesting in there, but it's more lawyer jargon and judge jargon. It's more yeah. up up to maybe me or or fellow artists or the headmen to just storytell with our families at the powwow, mm-hmm. or at a feast, yeah. or at a gathering, and, you know, like maybe you would, if you ever went home and had a meeting with your family, yep. you know, with the Spences, you would just have that information of the Spences. Let's see what the Spences think. That's up to us now. This is what the Knisternos think. This yeah. is what the Balanges think. Yeah. And this is what uh, the George family think, you know. And then we'll come to a bigger, as we go on down the road, I hope I live long enough to, to uh, find out uh, where our people are going to settle, and they have a freedom to be able to go to any of those places, really.
0: Yeah. Are they kind of connected, or are they? Uh, oh yeah, they're
1: all connected. You know, bloodwise. I, uh, I mean, I mean,
0: I mean, landwise. Is a land kind um, of connected?
1: No, they're close. Yeah. Because so Chapawey's treaty land entitlement, and, and I was on the band council back then. We agreed down at then to accept. Uh, money to create uh, our treaty land entitlement, which it, included we included, take achas and 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 uh, First nations yeah we to to buy land to buy mm-hmm. land that was owed us from the treaty time they say that we you guys only had maybe a hundred people on your band list, and we say no, we had two hundred people on the band you owe us two hundred more uh per people, which includes uh how many acres per person? And then they agreed, didn't want to go to court. Okay, yes, we agreed. We
0: we amalgamated
1: you guys together and took your land away. Now we're going to give you land back to buy. So all our land that we bought it was all under Chapway's treaty land entitlement, but the members that were there were, were descendants of the Chekachas people and Kagishwa people and Ochap people. So we all kind of knew, you know, our leadership knew that our history and our potential for this day, that that it was going to come, that it was going to be recognized. Now the the government has recognized that they illegally amalgamated us against our will way back 150 years ago. Now they're challenging us. It's up to you to say where you belong now. And it's up to you to decide what you're going to do. So, it's going to cause a lot of confusion and a lot of infighting already. There's, I don't want to go there. No way, I'm from there. And others, there's other ones are saying, Really? I'm from there? I mean, I can go there? You know, they don't know. So, it's all new, you know. So, it's, it's exciting times, really. Yeah. Exciting, it looks like
0: you have a, a quite a challenging time ahead to uh, yeah. to try and sort this out and uh, give people mm-hmm. time to think about it. And uh, it looks like it's not going to happen overnight, probably a couple more years, at least, I mm-hmm. think, you know. Uh, growing up as a child, you know, uh, were you taught traditional language and culture, and uh, where did you learn that from? Uh, your
1: parents, grandparents? Uh, <clears throat> you know, my both my parents went to residen- residential school. Uh, my mom went to Brandon residential school from nineteen, probably thirty-eight to about 1948, and my dad, around the same time, he went to a Catholic school, which is Maryville. And in those schools, they did a number on my, my, my parents, both of them. So when we were growing up, and this happened to a lot of our people in the, in the area, uh, they didn't want us to get Preached that by the schools, and gets uh, get uh, hit because they spoke Soro and Cree, and uh, like my mom was Cree and and uh, Michip, uh, and uh, they spoke some of that before they went mm-hmm. to the schools, mm-hmm. and my dad was fluent in Nisnabe Soro when he went to Maribel, so they're punished and they're scolded and and strapped to not learn their language. Yeah. So yeah. consequently, when they had us children, they said, we're not going to teach our kids this. They did. The schools did a number on our parents. Yeah. But so they didn't speak it fluently in our, in our, in our, in our home. Only when our uncles and some other people came, came, who could hear them speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, would say, uh, my mom would say, to them. My, my dad would say, I need you to go again. And is relatives rather say, which means everything's okay. And uh, for, how are you? It's the same thing as, te, you know. So it kind of became trilingual. Ain, uh, really? oh. kan <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So like, kan kutno, yeah. like uh, and then, yeah. Yeah. so indirectly, my, my grandfather would speak, would speak soto when he come to visit us, and my grandmother yeah. when he go yeah. visit them. And when we would go to the odd, the odd ceremony, we'd hear the elders speak their language. Yeah. I went to a, I went to a rain dance with my grandfather when I was about maybe four years old or three years old, and they still had horses and they still had wagons. Some had jalopy cars, you know, but. They went to the back of the back of way out in the fields, back in the lonesome prairie, and they had a rain dance here. The last one on our reserve, which was 1958, and I was a child when I went there. And my Kokum, who was uh, at the time, my, her name was Liza Elizabeth, we called her Liza Balangi. She yeah. was a Lewisan from originally from Kakustow, and I was all excited. The feast was there. And there was food, there was soup, there was sandwiches, and there was cake and candies. And I, as a kid, I wanted to have the cake and candies, and my, and my cookum she hit my hand. I got now I was Pauline. <laughs> but so I had to sit down. Yeah. And then she gave me a little bit of bannock, a little bit of rabbit, a little bit of deer meat, a little bit of a rice pudding with raisins in it. Yeah, and and I was reluctantly eating these. And then she said, now you can have the cake and the and the candies from the feast thing. Yeah. So that was yeah. beautiful then. Yeah? And wow. they're all they're all speaking their own language. And yeah. And then I heard these kokums crying. And they were wondering why who's hurting my kokums, I thought. And I went to the lodge. And that lodge was like like this. It was lodge like this and up and the nest was up there. It was called the Thunderbird Nest. They're praying to the Thunderbirds for the rain yeah. and they're whistling with their Eagle whistles and i look, Oh, nobody's making my kokums cry. And I said, Oh, they're, they're praying they're praying for my, my nieces, and nephews today that are born, the, un, the unborn generations. And they're having a, a ceremony was basically what they were having. And yeah. it was really special to me because I was three years old and my mind was just clear. Right. and uh, one of our people are called wachistun they're Cree people on the reserve but that's right. what that means that nest up in there that's where the eagle's thunderbird nest yeah. at the lodge when it's beginning like this so i did learn bits and pieces i didn't i'm not fluent in my language i uh, because my parents didn't they didn't want us to go through what they went through in residential school they wanted us to have an easier time when we left the reserve to go get jobs so would speak English fluently and, you know, and that. And they reluctantly kind of made a mistake, but I blame that on the government for uh, stealing our language, stealing our stories, stealing our culture. Now, uh, I can't speak to my uh, grandchildren very well in, in our language. My father, bless his heart, he passed on a couple of years ago. Uh, he sat us down at the table to eat, and he says, you say, I want to teach you a prayer. He says, you say after me. <laughs> and that's the prayer I carry. That's the only bit of language he taught me. Yeah. And that basically means, Migwech. thank you. It's the great spirit. Uh, thank you, Grace ko For all our being, you know, in this world, and this universe where mm-hmm. we live. For the food we eat. For the stuff we drink. For the water we bathe in. For the rivers, for the lakes, for the rain. I, hype. I didn't know that was going to be uh, a special that's the only thing he really taught me, other than when I'd ask him. I'd ask him questions. Well, how do you say, good day, Dad? I always say, have a nice day. And says, uh, well, the Krii say, Kizate. nice and hot. Which means, like, it's in Soto or his Nishnabe, it's Nishinaabe. It's a good day. It's a nice day. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then my mom would teach us midship and midship and better bit She'd say, yeah. Uh, Kipahala bush, Kipaha, You know that word? Close the door. Shut your yeah. Oh, shut your mouth. bush. Yeah. yeah. Or kipahala
0: like port. Yeah, that's a kind of Cree and Bitchiff uh, mixed yeah. together, right?
1: And I said window, window.
0: Yeah. Kipahala,
1: kipahala. Peñat, <laughs> yeah. peñat. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she kind of spoke that way. She yeah. She said Ma, maté la vet. Yeah. Which bring a bring, uh, washcloth or whatever yeah, yeah. or not that. Not no. that. Not that de Yeah. Not that. bring some water <laughs> so it's
0: good it's interesting yeah because uh a couple of things there um uh, that's uh midship is a metis uh metis language it's uh, yeah. really connected to uh cree i guess solo cree solo midship we're all kind of uh it's a big uh, language
1: out here on the prairies yeah, was well, uh, well, that right? Through the trading times of buffalo, the buffalo trading times, just the, a, around this territory was immense hunting of buffalo. Yeah. So they came across the midship, and the Michif uh, they spoke a little bit of uh, French, uh, English, and uh, Dakota, they, uh, Dakota, and they spoke a little bit of Cree, and then they spoke a little bit of uh, Scottish. Yeah. And that was a prairie language because buffalo hunting was big out here way like
0: back you in. imagine, yeah, we're right, right in the prairies there. You must have, uh, uh, or your ancestors anyway, must have uh, uh, had an invasion of people coming across from, uh, oh, yeah. from the east to the west yeah. there, when the
1: west was opening up. The train, the train was a big thing. Right. And the train was a big thing that came to Regina in probably like the 18, 1850s. It was coming yeah. through this way, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk, uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your your time as uh, as an actor. I guess uh, uh, one of the areas that I'm interested in talking to you about was your your stint and your time with Norsa 60, uh, with Tom Jackson, Tina Keeper, and uh, others on that show. Uh, your character, your character was Leon. Dila, I think it was. Yeah, uh, the, uh, Dila. Yeah, and that was from, uh, that was like uh, 10 years. Did that, uh, was that, that run that long or I thought it was a bit shorter than
1: that? Uh, I think, yeah, it was 10 year run and then they did about four one hour shows of a year apart to wow. around about 14 years. Yeah.
0: Well, how was that like? Uh, what was your, uh, how, did oh, you was... And that, and how did you get that part in that?
1: how did you, how was that like? Okay, it was really quite you know now that i think about it now that uh, it's done and gone and in history it's still a big a big part of uh, an impact on 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 canada uh, culturally and uh, throughout the world you know and i and I, i'll give you a reason for that is that uh, uh it was broadcast in about 100 countries throughout the, the globe wow and uh uh, at the time, it was done in Europe and Spain and yeah. France, France and, you know, different places, Czechoslovakia, no doubt, those those countries in there, Germany and in England. At the time, when it was, I don't think now, it's probably not, but during that time, uh, uh, at the Atlantis Alliance released it to those countries so it could fill up the television hour, eh? And I re- I kind of found that out when I went to the Pan Am Games. And I think it was in 19, or it was about 2000. In about 2000, I went there. And then the, uh, the people from Pan America were there from Central America. Where were countries? Aztec. Aztecs, Indians. They're from Panama. I think they were from down Central America. The Aztec Indians had those great, big, long peacock feathers yeah, way up yeah. high. And they have bells and. And they, they have their guys have shirtless tops, and the women dance with their little horns. Ooh, ooh. Anyway, those people were performing at Winnipeg, and I was interested, and I went to see them. And wow, those guys, Aztecs, are good. They put a fire, right out, right in the middle of the thing, and they put their feet right on the fire. That, and then they pull it away, and it was intriguing watching these people. Wow bare feet going on the fire and they pull away. Later on they told me, sit are you Leoni? <laughs> are you Leo? Oh, you acted with Petro, Petro? And uh, also Rosa, Rosa? <laughs> and I didn't understand what, how come they're naming the characters? But they used to watch North of 60 in Spanish. Yeah. Down in, down in Central America and they got my autograph. They, Oh, wow. oh see, uh, so I had to sign Leone, Leone yeah. and Rosa, you know, for Spanish, and uh, that's kind of yeah. how I got to know that uh, that they watch it in Spanish down there. And then Rosa? my dad, uh, my dad asked me one time he was watching in Winnipeg, he's watching the French Channel, and he just started watching. He said, "Hey son, yeah, when did you learn how to speak French?" Said, <laughs> oh, that wasn't me, Dad. That was just. Uh, Interpreters, like they interpreted. Yeah. they interpret, uh, they they just did the language in. Uh, they have a voiceover. Yeah, the voiceover actors were doing our language. Yeah. There's only there was one person to, to do about seven languages, seven characters. Wow. So this guy could do Rosie and Leon. You know, or. Rosie whatever. was
0: your wife, wasn't she in the show?
1: Yeah, yeah, the storekeeper, yeah. and then also, uh, she was acted with the uh, with the storekeeper. Uh, Oh, I forget his name now.
0: So, like, how did you, how did you, how did you, I guess, obviously you had to audition for the part, and uh, what was that like? Tell us a little bit about that, and your, and what was it like being being on uh, on site?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I was always interested in theatre. And uh, that summer, at North 60 was recruiting people all over Canada. We were doing a show down in Port Capel. And it was kind of roughly about about the treaties, uh, and uh, a guy from uh, from uh, Hobima, Alberta, who went to the same school as I did, out in Kimber Cody Farm in Ontario. He he married a uh, a a woman named uh, (laughs) what her name was uh, Kathy. She was from Ontario, but she ended up going to to live uh, a married life with Daryl Wildcat. And then uh, we tracked him down to write a, a play on treaty at Port Capel. And he did that. And he wanted me to act as which was loud voice, a descendant of Ochapois, And I was going to do that. I wanted to do this role. It so happened that I was going way down to Ontario, down to where my, my partner uh, at the time, uh, Deborah Wild is from Stony Point, Kettle Point. I'd already booked that trek to go down there with our with our two sons, uh, Jesse and James. So we we had to go there, and I had to I had to say I can't be in the show. So, but when we got back to the Port Capel area, or or Chap, I we went down to the play and. Uh, we watched the play, it was a great play, and then Daryl says, you know what, you have a band, can you take some of the youth here up to Regina to audition for the show? They're, they're looking for young young actors, they're looking for kids or children, they're looking for people about TV's age, 17 or 16. But I loaded up these people in the band, we went there and found the actor office. Was right near this hotel of all places. Uh, upstairs, they went there, and uh, they went to read for this uh, TV. TV's role. TV's you know, yeah. TV was uh, a character on the show. Yeah, and then Laurie's role or whoever. I said, "Oh yeah," and said, uh, "That's what they—they're good poor by the back in those days. They put—they took a picture of you on a Polaroid. They yeah. took a picture of the kid on a Polaroid. Sh- staple on the back of his name, address." phone number, parent's name, how to contact you, what nation you're from. They had about 20 or 30 of those. And then they looked at me and they said, are you you here to audition for any parts? And I said, no, I'm just driving. Well, we have a character uh, you might be interested in reading for named uh, Leon. And uh, I said, well, I wasn't really prepared to do this. But you're coming here tomorrow? just take it and read the script and then at the end of the end of their auditions for the kids you can come and do this one so that's what i did and i did the reading and lo and behold they end up getting a you know hold of me later on about maybe two or three weeks later yeah i got this phone number phone call from calgary they're sending us yeah we're we're interested in uh where you are and i was way down in uh I went way down to Nevada with my mom on right. a on an elders' trip. We went down there to watch our ball players play ball. Yeah. And in uh Gardnerville, Nevada, our old Chap Thunder were playing down there. And uh, my uh I was I was there as a as a chaperone for my great grandfather, actually uh, Arthur George. And uh I would guide him to the ball diamond and make sure he ate and all that stuff. But somehow they had phoned a number and I phoned this number. I phoned this uh, number back. Oh, really? Because uh, back in those days, I think it just came on an answering service at right. home, Call this yeah. number, and I called that number. Hey, don't tell anybody right now, but uh, we're interested in bringing you in for an audition for uh, Leon's part. And then... Uh, we'll see how it goes, but you have to come to Calgary. So all the way back from Gardnerville, which is a kind of a special place is was a place they did Bonanza. Remember a long time ago, Ed Sullivan? Yeah. Bonanza. They did the Ponderosa. Yeah. That was kind of where they were doing the, doing the, uh, doing the the ball tournament. So some of them went to that. They went to watch that. They went to the Ponderosa and, uh, I was all excited I was traveling to Yellowstone National Park when I when I learned about this phoning uh, that national Yellowstone National Park is where the the old uh, the ge- the geyser geyser? Yeah. the geyser goes up. Geyser. Yeah. we all call them the old geyser geyser. <laughs> and and anyway I was just mom these people are calling me to Calgary to go uh, to go for this audition you know because she knows I'm an artist you know yeah. So I, just, oh, I was just excited kind of but you know I couldn't tell anybody on the bus or they didn't know anything about this anyway so when I did get home I didn't have very much money I I, I had a vehicle but I said I need some money to go to, a, go to Calgary and I went to my chief Denton George and he gave me a couple hundred bucks here go and uh, audition so I got my sister Joyce came with me. We drove all the way down to uh, to Calgary. We yeah. stayed at stayed at Robin Melting Tallow's place. Who's Robin Melting Tallow? Was the person that did the casting, for the extras and all that. And then next day, I went down to the to the office of uh, the casting office where they had a, a camera set up. And then I was auditioning for Leon's part. Yeah. You know who else is auditioning? Uh, for Leon's part, what? Gordon, Gordon Tatusis. Wow! And Jimmy Herman, <laughs> two big name actors, yeah. and a bunch, bunch of other people. Yeah. The young people, you know, and then we were all waiting, beating our parts for Leon and all that stuff. And said, I'm not going to get this part if, if Gordon's here. He's probably going to end this part, or or uh, Jimmy Herman act a big name actor from dances with wolves. Yeah. He, he acted with uh uh as a Paiute Indian on there. Yeah yeah he acted he actually ended up with those raids on, on North of Sixty with those red raids as old yeah. Joe. He right. got hard as old Joe. Oh yeah I remember that guy yeah. yeah. So Jimmy Herman told me he says you just just do the best you can. You never know what these white people want or are doing eh? He says I said, okay, all right. So I went back, read my lines. I went in there. And about a week later, they ended up calling me on the reserve, my little house on the reserve. Yeah, Uh, that's there. Well, we have a, a good proposition for you. We want you to come in for four shows, and then we'll see how it goes from there. We have four shows written that has Leon's character and, uh, We'll just see how it goes from there. We'll we, we offer you, we'll guarantee you four shows, and that's it. So I was all excited. Hey, I'm going to go. I, ended up, uh, I think I, I flew down there, and I had to do these four shows. The first show was directed by Stuart Margolin. Stuart Margolin calls me at the, at the hotel, and I recognized him from uh, a television show. Uh, that I'd watched for years. Holy man, this is a big name guy. Stuart Margot. I forget what that name of that show was. But anyways, he told me, he says, uh, you're gonna play an alcoholic character on the show. And as a young actor, performer, I was only 39 at the time. Yeah. He says, a lot of people make a mistake and he, if you're gonna act like an alcoholic, you're going all like, acting around drunk all the time. And it's says, no. Yeah. You look at some real alcoholics and watch them and how they pretend to be sober and they're actually really looped. Yeah. And that's how I'd like you to kind of consider your consider yeah. your character. And so uh, that's all I took from him, eh? Yeah. And, I, yeah. and uh, the show that I was talking about, there's the Rockford Files. Okay. The Rockford Files, way back. That's my goal and acted on that show and his name okay. was, I recognized his name right away. Yeah.
0: I remember that but Gordon Titusis did play a part in that, didn't I mean, he? got on uh, He got on the show later on, didn't he? Yeah,
1: yeah, I'll finish my story. Yeah. And, and then after we left that audition, uh, later on they told me, as the years went on, said, you know what? When, well, we didn't have our parts written for Gordon, or we didn't have parts written for Joel. We had parts written for Leon and Rosie. But when Gordon came in there, he was taller and stronger than Rosie. And no, that's not the character. She couldn't boss him around. Yeah, okay. And they put Joe in there, she goes, No, he looks, he's just good height for him, but he looks a little too old. That's more like her father. Yeah. So when Leon came in, he was shorter than Rosie. And she said, yeah, there's the guy we're interested in. No, it's you. Somebody she can. Boss around and <laughs> take no shit from.
0: <laughs> that's how <laughs> kind of how I got to part.
1: Well, that's and exactly
0: so, how I remember seeing you on that show. You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, Rosie, would boss you around, and tell you what to do, and you would just shuffle off. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> but yeah. indirectly, that's how Rosie's character come from her tribal self. She's from a tribe called the Six Nations Mohawk Iroquois Confederacy. Right. Down in those the Iroquois Confederacy in the Six Nations, the women are the bosses. They right. are they're the matrilinear bosses and they're used to telling the men what to do and how to, you know. Yeah. You saw it you saw it on the Tennis at mm-hmm. the end of, on when when uh when uh Obama was doing her film. They the the warriors probably would have started shooting back at the sewer tape. Yeah. But the women stepped up front and said, "You guys sit down." Yeah. Boom! Listen to us. Those guys wanted to shoot back, right. and they, the clan mother stood up and they stopped that that bloodbath, and they stopped Lasagna yeah. and whoever those guys were, because those guys wanted to. Let's be a yeah. man. Come on, Surate, okay, shoot me, and I'll shoot you right back. The women <laughs> stood in there and just stopped them. And Rosie was from those. Rosie was from those. So her character carried over right. yeah
0: onto right. the show yeah I remember seeing you in Ottawa around that time when uh the summer of the Oka crisis
1: yes right you were you were in Ottawa I don't
0: remember remember that time meeting yeah. coming up with me and uh yeah. and uh you were interested in uh you were trying to go to Oka did you ever make it to Oka
1: yes we did my brother-in-law Ernest George and I after we were doing our research in the in the uh, RG10 library and all that yeah uh, we had a day off. Uh, we said, "Well, we have a day off, and let's let's go down to Montreal and we'll go up to uh, the Oka." And uh, they all agreed. So we all pitched in. We rented a car, and it, we used uh, my brother-in-law's uh, credit card to rent the car. And we went right into Oka, and we we met uh, Ellen Gabriel, Gabriel Gabriel, and they took us right into the center of the village. We had a great time, and. Uh, and all of a sudden there was this big bang went off, boom! And everybody said oh! We thought we were going to get caught in a crossfire. So tay to Quebec, you could see their armored cars going around. And then he got a phone call. Uh, Gabriel Gabriel said, oh, is just my uh, uncle or my cousin? He was doing mechanics, and the car backfired to so the <laughs> muckler. And everybody went back to normal again, oh. Yeah, and we, yeah. we went down to the, to the monastery. We met uh, Lena Bomswin who was doing a documentary and then she warned us, you know, you guys, uh, you better be careful around here. Uh, to going to the mercy bridge. Don't go on a bridge by yourselves because the French people are, are, they want blood of the Oka people or the, the Mohawk people. And, yeah. uh, if they, they know you're Aboriginal and uh, they'll torture you or they'll grab you and sure enough uh, that's when they're throwing uh, uh, bricks right through the cars as they're leaving and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I've never seen that, yeah. They're, you know, they're all going crazy because you wanted to bridge traffic to open up and all that stuff. So I did, I did get yeah. down there and when we did walk around the city of Montreal, you could you could feel the tension and the hatred towards you as Aboriginal people that had long hair back then. And, wow. And, uh, yes. So we didn't have a very safe... We, we were we were safe, but but when you're going across the Mercier Bridge, or going to set a sign said to Mercier Bridge, I was driving and I was going to turn there, and my brother-in-law just looks at me and says, are you going to go to the Mercier Bridge? Remember Atlanta Bombsman said, don't go? <laughs> and I just... I just kept on going, but the look in his eye, it's just like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was an incredible time. But but uh, Rosie's character did, did uh, she was part of the Mohawk uh, nation. Yeah. I- Iroquois. And when she passed on uh, a couple of years ago, I was going to go down to uh, to her funeral at the Longhouse, and her sisters call- called me. I was in- I made myself from Wachap to Winnipeg. And I was going to jump on the plane at 1 o'clock. And uh, they contacted me and said, you know, you, you better not come because uh, our ceremony in the longhouse already started at sunrise in the morning when the sun comes up. And then we did just things in the longhouse, and she was already in the ground by about 10. Oh, so, uh, okay. But your name was mentioned here, they said, in the longhouse. Yeah. Oh, they said, in our, in our life, they said Rosie was not married. She did not get married in real life. But on television, on North of 60, she did marry Leon. Errol Canistino was going to come today, and everybody just laughed, and they applauded. <laughs> he was yep. going to come, but we told him we better not come because the ceremony is going to be done by the time you get here. Yeah. So the family yeah. was honored that I was going to come. And one of these days, I'm going to uh, stop out in Six Nations, and I'll uh, put some tobacco and say sing a song, and because she was a very important part of my uh, life my artistic life and uh, and and we made an impact on people throughout the world. Yeah, you did, absolutely.
0: That show was tremendous. It went on for a long time and I always enjoyed watching it and uh it was kind of a weekly weekly thing for me and I was always say, Hey man, that's my buddy there, El Listner, playing Leon. I'll tell you
1: one more story of but when we were doing the the, uh, the show at North to Sixty Yeah I'm I'm a ball fan, you know ball. And and it happened to be baseball. Those the Toronto Blue Jays were playing against the uh, against the Atlanta Braves, and the Atlanta Braves were fans. Of, I was go oh, 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 with their big tomahawks, right? And I, and I was I was into watching the, the watching the, the series, the World Series. Yeah. And North to Sixty was on that time, and I was kimochi watching, uh, listening on the radio. And uh, what's the score? What's the score? Oh, the Blue Jays! Oh, darn! They're gonna, they're they're gonna lose, and sure enough, they lost, and they tied it up, and the World Series was on, and then, and then the final games, they came out with the stats. They looked at the stats in the office of North to Sixty, and and they said the World Series had about eight hundred view, eight hundred thousand viewers in yeah. Canada, and North to Sixty had one point two million viewers. They outdid the North. They out outdid the World Series, wow. and I, then I looked and said, "Holy moly, we're on a big show here, man!" Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that. I said, "I like I like the World Series, but I better start liking North of sixty as well." Eh? <laughs> and I started really respecting the people and yeah. came close with the with the people who were doing the sound, the wardrobe, right. you know, The 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 accountants, the producers. You know, I started. Uh, paying attention to all these artists that were, that were, were you don't see them on the screen. Yeah. They see us on the screen. We get the credit as actors, but then at the, end, the tail end, you see the the, the things going up. Yeah. Those guys, the, the sound crew, the lighting crew, right. uh, the, the electric, the best boys, best groups. I started learning who those guys were, eh? Yeah. The accountants and the people that paid us, the Key people grip. that did the sound. You never... <laughs> I said, "Wow, it was just a big team, a big successful team," and yeah. I started started really uh, learning to be family with them. I'd yeah. say hi to George Tennant, who was on. He did the sound. He had headphones like this, and he had those guys out there with the with the with the with the microphones. Getting Rosie, and then Leon, and I said, for example, they would say, "Okay, Rosie's line was, you want to talk to me, Leon? Leon.'" And then the microphone goes, yes, I do. Oh, what's up? And Leon says, let's get married. And then Rosie's, Rosie's lines are kind of big. Huh? I love you. I love you. And then all of a sudden they go in for a kiss. They go in for a smoochie. And Rosie, uh, Leon has to put his lips up like this because she's a little taller. Rosie <laughs> has to duck down a little bit. And then they depart. Rosie's, Leon just reluctantly proposed to her. Yeah. And indirect, indirectly, he's going to propose to her. You know why? So he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to uh, witness against her in court for assaulting him for throwing oh. that throwing that big glass thing on his head. Eh? Yeah. But in a court of law, you can't. You can't uh, witness against your partner. <laughs> that was the. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious, man. That. Yeah, indirectly the uh, underlying yeah. story. So I realized I was I was in a big show, and I started when I was at home. I would I would go to these gatherings, the uh, the First Nations gatherings, and uh, when I'd get out of the vehicle going to watch my sons play ball, and I said, "Hey, there's that guy on North 60." That was what I was called. This that guy on North 60. He's <laughs> that guy on North 60. Eventually, they come to. Uh, they knew I wasn't Leon. I wasn't a TV or any of those characters. Sam yeah. or anything like that. I just started autographing. Leon, to Leon, thanks for being a fan. Of North sixty or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I was, when well, I hear that, always at a ball tournament or whatever, a hockey term. There's a guy from yeah. North sixty, you know. And I learned to hear. Uh, sometimes I was, I would just say, I would just acknowledge him. I was always really glad to be on that show. I was always really really uh it was one of the biggest things of my career in a sense it gave me a profile uh it gave me a, a ability to go do something else like today i do music or yeah. story storytelling or play reading or or you know i uh, yeah. just to be uh arrow you know yeah. but also I, but also leon you know yeah.
0: yeah i see you once in a while uh yes god i'm glad we made friends yeah you're uh you're singing uh you're singing these days and I, I see you on Facebook and uh, doing these performances and it uh, looks like you're still doing well. You're looking good, my friend. Oh, thank you. Uh, the, uh, this podcast is is about Aboriginal culture and sharing your knowledge and humour and you do always do a good job of that. But uh, as indigenous people, we have many stories that have been passed down to us. and uh, But we're also uh, part of our work here at the Legacy Hope Foundation surrounds education and we're trying to promote a greater understanding about Aboriginal culture and reconciliation. Um, is there a, is there a, do you feel a need or do you have some kind of a message uh, about reconciliation and how we can uh, kind, of, kind of make this country a better place where everyone to live?
1: yes I do uh, you know I think our reconciliation a sense through the generations has changed over time. Since 1492, when I study history, our our people were were pretty. It seemed like we in the prairies we like to be the buffalo hunters. But you know, uh, originally our descendants, the Nishnabe people, came from around Thunder Bay. We came from the land of the giants, the the Big Sabe, the Sleeping Giant, and we emigrated kind of in the wake of the woods area through Kenora and ended up on the prairies. And now, because we heard of these things called the Pascua Mostus, uh, they say the prairie cows, the buffalo, and that we could live free. So there was a time when the buffalo provided a good existence here for the people. And, uh, you know, like, uh, I think when I looked at Dash Chuck's book, when the civilization arrived here, John A. MacDonald and uh, Dudney, we have these really English, English high powered people that made decisions for their people, their, uh, their English descendancy. Dudney was not a really great man. He started the residential schools, he, uh, he wanted to delete the language and culture from the people. The Aboriginal people, and he did not want to make treaty to give the people a good, a good uh, beneficial treaty. He wanted to, in a sense, put them on the ropes, and they were almost starving because the buffalo were gone. And then he would make treaty, so they would lower their standards and say, "Well, this guy will help us mm-hmm. out if we we if we agree to give up our vast territory and live on these little places called reserves." And independent, indirectly, they meant for us to, that our language would die, our people would die. We'd get smallpox or diphtheria or measles, and we would die from these uh, these uh, pandemics and or starvation. And consequently, lots of us did. So I, yeah. I think nowadays, it's not just the Indian people that are learning that history, It's the other people that come to the First Nation University of Canada just down the road here and learn what they did in lieu of civilization, in lieu of of making this British North America uh, colony they call Canada into a country that would would, uh, take advantage of the Indians, take away their land and put them on little reserves and watch them disintegrate. And today it kind of backfired. Our reserves are kind of the last places where we we think this is our homeland this is our nationhood this in is our sovereignty and then it's turning around we're mushrooms for the next generation of people so that's where we got to reconcile we have to learn the history and we have to educate our not just ourselves but the people on the uh, outside of our communities to to gain their their support uh, because they are in power they're they're sometimes in in they're in the law that makes uh, the government of Canada uh they're in, they're in they work for Indian affairs or they work for medical services or they work in these things that could change their attitudes towards Indians and and uh, maybe one day grant the people uh, you know like true independence sovereignty self self government that's what we've, we've been working for in the last while and that if it's a step to if that's part of reconciliation, then I think it's really important that we do the groundwork the basis of that when we see people that that don't understand us, take it with a grain of salt, you know, don't just pick up the rifle and want to shoot right away think put on your thinking cap, do your writing with your with your pen and your art and your poetry and your and your maybe an essay or do. Learning on uh, Aboriginal studies, or history, or you know, or mm-hmm. become a become a mathematician and discover some new things in math. You know, our people are branching out now. There's people that are in, into into uh, astronomy. Uh, you know, they're studying space and and being engineers. You know, like we can't say that our people are just uh, lawyers, teachers, and nurses. Now we've be, we've gone beyond that. There's teachers, nurses, or or ministers. We're 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 actually becoming principals of the schools, and mm-hmm. we're becoming you know people that are in 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 uh, decision making places, and that's where we got to go with this reconciliation, so that there is a hope of you know a legacy of hope for our future. And uh, as artists, we have that challenge as well, eh? to be happy and say, don't let all the stuff get you down. Right. Go to a fowl, go to a festival, go to a a writing school and write about this stuff, you know, and, and make it good,
0: make yeah. it happen and mm-hmm. You're a real inspiration and uh mm-hmm. i really enjoyed talking to you this afternoon. Uh, yeah, how, uh before we close, uh the other part of uh Roots and Hoots is the Hoots part. Yeah it's meaning something Uh, funny or a song Uh.
1: do you want to drive in kokum's cadillac Cocum's Cadillac, she came a long way from the Red River cart, the horse and the buggy with their Indian heart. Cocum's Cadillac, hey I hey, Cocum's Cadillac, hey I hate. Do you want to ride in Kokum's Cadillac? Geronimo asks her, hey, where'd you get those wheels?
0: Big Bear's in the back,
1: trying to grab the wheel. Kokum's Cadillac, ah, hey-ah-hey. Kokum's Cadillac, ah, hey-ah-hey. (laughs) And <laughs> Longton Prairie With mushrooms, oxen That song got in. That song got in in an anthology out here at the First Nation University of Canada. It's it's edited by Jesse, Doctor Jesse Archibald, Jesse Archibald, and he put together this a lot of stories. uh, called Kisichi One, Kisichi One on the Prairies. If you ever check it out. Uh, it's. You should add it to your library. You'll see my song got contributed in there that's an art piece that, that I wrote, and that's uh, one of the things I do. So thanks a lot, Gord. I guess we'll be signing off now.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Errol, and uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, you're just an amazing guy. And uh, you know, I'm going to uh, I'm going to send you a recording of this so that you can have a look and listen to it before. Uh, yeah, right before on. We, cool. We we awesome. give final. Final production on it. I've been talking to Errol Canisno, a singer, songwriter, actor from uh, Ochapuis Ochopo- oh, First, First Nation in uh, Saskatchewan. Thank so you please. very much, Errol. Thanks, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Treaty Four Territory, I'd like to give a shout out to Josie, Josie Lenka, White Bear, uh, for uh, getting the headphones and also setting up the computer and talking with you about the podcast. And congratulations, yeah. uh, Gord. Yeah. with the legacy of hope. Thank, Thank you, you very say. much.
0: Yeah, How do people get a hold of you before, uh, in case someone is interested in uh, talking to you or getting a
1: hold of yeah. you? you? uh, have, uh Facebook. Facebook,
0: Eero uh, Knessno at Facebook. OK. All yeah. right. Thank you very uh, much. Pleasure.